This has been a really convicting series to kind of work through as you're thinking about all these different areas that are being exposed of, um, of idol worship and false worship and areas where we chase after other supposed gods than the one true God. And uh, this morning uh, has me a little bit anxious as I'm preparing to preach because we get to talk about the, the thing that we all want to talk about in the room, and that's money and materialism. Amen? No. No. I know you're thinking, I knew we shouldn't have come to church today. You're here. You can't leave. Uh, let's get to it. Hey, Luke chapter 12, if you've got a Bible, I want to read a passage of scripture and then, um, and then we'll get going from there. This will establish our time together. Um, there's some passages of scripture that you look to and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to preach a little bit from here and a little bit from here. I'm going to combine these together to be the perfect cocktail of bringing forward God's thoughts on a particular subject. And as I looked and studied this passage today, it's an extended passage I want us to read, but everything Jesus says here through Verses 13 through 34 have everything to do with approaching this issue and speaking to us right where we need spoken to. And so I want to begin our time with this extended passage. Again, the words will be on the screen behind me. Luke 12, verses 13 through 34. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness, against all greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, in the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax and eat and drink and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So the one who lays up treasure for himself and uh, so, so so, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life or what you will eat, nor about your body, nor what you put on. For for is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither have storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow was thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and nor be worried. For the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows that you need them. So instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of God to us. So you and I live in a moment 
where it's really popular to have a pride of individualism, you know? It's really popular to have a pride of, of self-importance. And so it's popular to say things like, no one's the boss of me. I'm not gonna bend or bow to anybody. It's really popular to say things like, no one has control over me. I get to decide what I get to decide for my own life. It's really popular to say things like that. But the problem is, our lives reveal that's just not true. (laughs) Our lives reveal that those kind of ideologies, those kind of statements just aren't reality. And I've found this to be true in my own life in a kind of of a silly area uh, in the different experiences I've had with the Whole30 cleanse. You know what I'm talking about? You don't get to decide for your life. That thing decides for your life, you know? And so uh, if you don't know what the Whole30 cleanse is, it's like this 30-day you know, uh, cleanse where you sort of reset your diet and you let go of all carbs and sugars and dairy and processed foods. It's basically 30 days with no fun, right? That's kind of what's going on there. And you're supposed to, you know, think about what you're eating and how it affects your body or something like this. And so on, on one level, you're like, yeah, I need to reset my diet. My wife and I've tried this a few times. It always sounds really well and good, super ambitious. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. and I'm not going to have so much ice cream at like 1030 at night. Uh, that's not a good decision. Let's reset this thing and not do that. And that sounds really nice for like three days, you know? And then on day three, you're like, I want pizza. All I can think about is pizza. When am I going to get my next pizza? And for me, when I've done this, I'm already thinking on day 31, you better look out. I'm going to have my own pizza. My kids can't have it. My wife can't have it. My dog's not going to get a share of it. It's all mine. I turn like this monster on the inside, you know? And then like you start moving through the days and it's like day 12 and all of a sudden, you start like craving things you don't even like, but you just can't have them. So you want them. So like, I remember recently I was like, I want a glass of milk. And I'm like, am I two? What's wrong? I got a glass of milk. What's going on with me? And so you just start wanting these things. And, and then by day 20, you start kind of getting out of the fog of your own intoxication to these things. And you start realizing, oh my gosh, I have such a terrible relationship with food. It like owns my emotions and my comfort and it owns my attitudes and I get cranky when I can't have milk on day 12. Like what's wrong with me, you know? And before doing anything like this, maybe if you've done something like this, you recognize, you would say, I I don't have a problem with food. I don't have a problem with anything like that. That doesn't own me. I'm not a slave to food. Then you're like, oh gosh, I'm all kinds of a slave to food, you know? And so maybe you hear that and you can relate to it, but, but the same is true for all of us in the room. The idea is there are things that we would say have no hold on us, but if we were to ask more honest questions, we recognize, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'd operate without that thing, i.e. forgetting your cell phone at home, right? And you get in social situations and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to tune out right now. I want to tune out. I don't want to talk to that person, but I don't have my phone. What am I going to do? I guess I have to listen, Right? You think about these things, and it's like, man, those things have ownership over us in ways we wouldn't recognize. And so rarely, if ever, do we want to admit that kind of stuff. We don't want to admit that. We want to say, no, I've got authority uh, to give myself to things or to withhold myself from things, but that's just honestly our lives reveal. That's not true. And so one of the biggest things that's a voice for all of us, one of the things that's a biggest hold on all of our lives is money and materialism. Money and materialism, right? So I know as I say that, I know as I mentioned that even before I read the passage, you're probably thinking, okay, I'm going to click off now. I've been to church before. I've heard sermons like this before. I know where this is going, and I don't want to talk about this, and I'm uncomfortable, and I wish I hadn't come. Those sorts of thoughts come forward. But I just want to be gut level honest with you for a second. I'm not wearing cufflinks today. I don't even own cufflinks. Cufflinks are great. I just don't own a pair. I don't have a private jet. 
I have no agenda to get one. This whole sermon has nothing to do with the space we just talked about raising $3 million for. This sermon was planned before that whole thing happened, right? I mentioned all that stuff today because they're cliche stereotypes that all of us can acknowledge, but I've got no agenda. In fact, our problem at Frontline isn't that we talk about money too much. Our problem is we hardly ever talk about it. Like that's our problem, honestly, if I'm gonna be straight with you. It's we never talk about it. And the reason is we just don't want this thing to be the offense. We want Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead and you're a sinner and you need a savior. We want that to be the thing that would offend if it would offend, not this, right? But the reality is this is a big enough a part of our life that we, we fail if we don't talk about it. We, we fail if we don't talk about it. And so here's what I wanna do today. <clears throat> I just wanna read the Bible and then let it read us, right? I, I wanna look at this text. I wanna comment about it. And I want these things to read us. Jesus is the one speaking these words. And so when he addresses this today, he's got some thoughts about your money and he's got some thoughts about your possessions and not because he needs them. You're straight with that. Not because he needs them. He's got some thoughts about it because it has everything to do with our worship. Like there's a straight line connection between your bank account and your worship, whether or not you want to admit that. And and this one stings for me, even as I'm preaching. I'm listening as I'm preaching this morning, right? And so as Jesus addresses all of this stuff in the passage before us, he's going to confront the God of money and materialism in three ways. The first way, he's just going to name it. He's just going to name it and, and reveal the lie that we believe. That's the first thing he's going to do. Then he moves from there and he's going to show us all the ways, these sneaky effects that have our, where our lives show we've been discipled by the God of money. We've been discipled. Then the last thing he's going to do in our text is he's actually going to offer us a kingdom. He's going to offer us a kingdom. So he names it. He shows us how we've been discipled by the God of money. And then he offers us a kingdom. So look back at the verses 13 through 15, where he just names the lie. And he says this, it says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And then he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So here's how this passage begins. A guy rolls up to Jesus in the midst of a crowd and he clamors over everybody else. And he says, hey, Jesus, my brother won't share the inheritance with me. He starts tattling on his brother because he wants part of the inheritance from his family and his brother won't share with him. Surely this is a younger brother. In those days, the oldest would have received the inheritance to divide up among the family. And his brother wasn't sharing. And so this guy's tattling and he believes Jesus can handle the problem for him. So you can imagine when Jesus turns to him, how shocked he was when he refuses to deal with this. He turns to him thinking, surely, okay, Jesus is about to trump this. He's the rabbi of the day. He's going to put my brother in his place and I'm going to get my stuff, right? Jesus turns to him and he refuses to answer, not because he doesn't care about this guy or the family dispute, but because this is just not what Jesus came to do. He, he didn't come to be some sort of civil, civil attorney or civil judge. He's not hand, here to handle civil disputes. He, he's coming with a whole different mission. So he turns to him and says, hey, I, I'm not a judge over you. And then what he does is he turns back to the crowd who's witnessed all of this, and he says something that gets to the heart of the issue. Everyone's heard this, and he cuts through the facade, he cuts through the deal about the inheritance, he cuts through the family dispute, and he addresses the issue that's really going on and tearing this family apart, and everyone now knows it because Jesus says, look at verse 15, take care 
and be on your guard against all covetousness, against all greed. And then he names the lie. He says, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. If you translate this literally from the original language, it says, your life doesn't exist in your stuff. Your life doesn't exist in your stuff. And so here's what's fascinating about this. If we would have been present on the day when Jesus said this, if we would have been in the crowd that day, we would have heard his response and everyone would have looked around at themselves going, wait a second, it feels like Jesus is all of a sudden coming out of left field. I thought we were talking about an inheritance and then all of a sudden you come at us real strong with greed. Everyone would have sort of been looking through their ear hole on this one, right? But Jesus, he's not rolling out on a limb here. When Jesus says this, he knows exactly what he's saying. He knows exactly this is what's going on, even if everybody else in the crowd is confused by it. Because here's what Jesus knows. When it comes to issues of money, when it comes to issues of our possessions and the God of money, by nature, those issues are hidden from us. They're hidden from us. Jesus knows that we don't see ourselves clearly in this way. We we don't see ourselves clearly in this way. And so unless we watch all of this and think of the problems really about the inheritance, Jesus says, I don't want you to mistake the real problem here. Be on guard, watch out, look out for greed. He cuts through. So here's the point Jesus is making. The greedy person never feels greedy, right? The greedy person never feels greedy. No one in the room wants to out themselves for being materialistic. Like no one raises their hand and goes, you know what? I'm really superficial and, and, and just money hungry. That's me. No one does that. We always think this problem is outside of us. That's a rich people problem. That's a problem for people who have more money than I do. Or it's a problem for people who have just as much money as I do, but they're always bragging about their stuff. That's their problem. We always think this problem is outside of us, right? And that's exactly the way this God works. He subtly lures you with blindness and thinking this problem is somewhere else. So even as you hear this, right? The problem of materialism is that you're already hearing this sermon. You're probably thinking to yourself, man, I really wish my dad was here to hear this sermon. I really wish my friend was here to hear this sermon. You're thinking of somebody else, not yourself, not yourself. You're not thinking about you when you think about this sermon. It's outside of you, right? The problem is always someone else. The problem is those people who are wrecking their family out because they're overworking and overspending. The problem is those people who uh, who are stealing and thieving and they're just hungry for other people's possessions. They don't want to work on their own. They want free handouts. That's the people who it's, no, 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 right? See, the way this God works is he schemes on you by abstraction. He schemes on you by abstraction to think that this is always outside of you. But notice what Jesus says. He says, watch out. He says, take heed. He says, be on guard against all covetousness and against all kinds of greed. Watch out for this. So the only way you can watch out is by asking yourself questions. Like that's the only way you're going to be able to do this one. And these aren't questions that anybody wants to ask themselves, right? No one wants to ask these questions. No one wants to pepper themselves this way. This is why man, in marriages, this is such a tension point. Because as soon as you roll out the bank statement, you can't hide and it feels so invasive and it feels so personal. It feels like an attack. But listen, Jesus isn't trying to attack us. He's not trying to expose us. He's just trying to get honest so that we might get saved. 
right? He's just, he's just trying to be honest that we might get saved. So here, here's some of the questions we have to ask if we're really gonna be on guard, right? This means be suspicious, be always listening, be, be always looking about for where this might be creeping in. So here's some of the questions. Do I really need this? When making a person, do, do, do I really need this? Am I living within my means? Am I living within my means? How many, of your, how many of your purchases, how many of my purchases do I make because I'm driven along by the opinions of others? I want them to think something of me because I have this thing. How many of my purchases do I make because I'm driven along by trying to keep up with other people? How many purchases do I make where I'm just trying to mask over pain and anxiety? How many purchases do I make just because I want to feel good? I want to feel a moment of comfort, right? No one wants to ask these questions. No one wants to be on guard like that. That's just a few questions. We could ask more. It just gets more uncomfortable the farther you go, right? No, no one wants to ask these questions, but here's what I do know. What Jesus is saying when he says be on guard is that when you refuse to be on guard, when you refuse to look out, when you refuse to ask questions, here's what you're doing with the God of money. You're self-selecting into blindness. Like you're self-selecting into blindness. When you refuse to ask questions, when you refuse to be honest, you're self-selecting here. So Jesus just names the lie. Your life doesn't exist in your stuff, right? So he just names it out loud. And then he moves from there. The next thing he does is he starts showing us all the ways we've been discipled by the God of money. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Because we live in an information age, very often what we want is just a definition. Just give me facts. Just shoot me straight. Give me bottom line. And so it feels like what we need now, if you just give me a working definition of greed, then I'll kind of know where I am. That's not true because you already know how to define it, Right? Everyone already has a definition of greed. It's when you take money too seriously, when, you, when money becomes too important. I could throw that out there and everyone goes, yeah, not me, right? Everyone already goes there. So what you need is not a definition. What we need are indicators. We need signs, real artifacts in our lives to go, oh, where have I even missed my own definition? Like that's what we, because here's what I know. We all want to draw a line, right? So we know, have I crossed it? Have I not crossed it? But our temptation on this issue is to draw the line much farther away from the current place we're standing (laughs) to go, oh man, at least I know I'm good now. But Jesus, through the rest of this passage, he's gonna give us five indicators and I'll run through them really quickly. Five indicators. And the first one's really obvious. It's gloating, gloating, bragging about your possessions. He tells this parable of the rich fool. Look at verse 19. He says, and I will say to my soul, soul, You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Notice what he does here. He says this to himself. (laughs) So so on the one hand, this is really easy. Like the first one is really easy to recognize. You know the people, right? They're always bragging about their stuff, bragging about how much they have, bragging about how much stuff costs, bragging about their latest purchase. That's one way of doing it. It's the out loud, boisterous way. But he says this to himself, which means gloating doesn't always have to be the out loud overt way. There's a kind of passive gloating that I think most of us probably do, right? It's the kind of gloating where you don't talk about your stuff. You're not gonna like just brag about your stuff, but you sure do love when someone recognizes you for your stuff. 
You sure do love when someone acknowledges you for your stuff and the things that you just bought. And you kind of pull that old like humble brag. Oh, this old shirt, I've had that for years. You got it last week, right? You know, these ways where you go, oh, that, that couch. Oh man, yeah. I just went down to the store and purchased that old, that old thing, you know? And it's like, the reality is, and you know exactly what you're doing. You're feeling so great on the inside, but you're trying to deny that this isn't important to you, but you love, you love being acknowledged for it. So the first one is gloating. I think that one's a really popular one inside of us, the passive way of gloating about our stuff. The second, the second one he mentions here is worry. The second indicator is worry. So here's what I found interesting about this passage. He tells this, this story, this parable about a rich fool, right? And then the next thing he says is don't worry about your life. How are those two things connected? Most of us just categorize greed and, and, and materialism as a rich people's sin. But what Jesus is saying here is this has nothing to do with your bank account. This has nothing to do with whether you're rich or whether you're poor. It has everything to do with the posture of your heart. And so he connects it to worry, right? He says, think about your life. Do you worry about your money? Do you worry about it? Do you worry about your standard of living? Do you worry about what you're going to put on, your clothing? Do you, are you constantly thinking about what you have or what you don't have to wear or what you want to wear that you want to get? Or are you thinking about what you're going to eat or drink or keeping up with the restaurant scene? And are you willing to go into debt to keep up with those sorts of things? Are you worried about this? He says, what's the content of your worry? If your heart is set on those things in that way, you're just as greedy as the overt gloater. Just as greedy. And so what's the source of your worry? Where's the source of your worry? Because if you're like me, you don't worry about stuff that you have. What do you worry about? Stuff that you don't have or what you feel like you need that you don't have or you fear that you might not have enough out there in the future someday or you worry that you maybe will never have those things. That's where your worry comes in. That's where your worry comes in. So Jesus says, and be on guard. The world chases after these things. Look at verse 29. He says, don't seek what you're going to eat and don't seek out what you're going to drink, nor be worried. And here's the last thing I want to say on this one. What makes Jesus really hard to follow here is that in American context, especially capitalism, right? Survival of the fittest. It's kind of virtuous if you're worried about money, isn't it? It's virtuous to say, okay, now I'm going I'm to advance. I'm going to have ambition. I'm, I'm, I'm not worried about it. I'm concerned about it. I'm I'm eager about it. I'm thinking about it. I'm strategizing for it. I'm not worried. I'm strategizing, right? And it's like, it's virtuous to think about money in those ways because it's all about accumulation and what you can acquire for yourself. And so when you see Jesus say, hey, don't worry about this stuff. It's like, I don't even know where to begin with you. Like, I don't even, because our, we just drank the Kool-Aid so much. I don't even know where to begin when I hear Jesus say these things. So second indicator is worry. The third and fourth one go together. When Jesus draws this out of us, by he, he starts talking about the way we look at money for security or we look at money on the other side for self-worth and for self-esteem. And so he draws this out of us by talking about birds and, and flowers. He says, hey, hey, look at the ravens. They don't have any money, but they're secure because God takes care of them. Hey, hey, look at the flowers. They don't have any bank accounts, but they're beautiful because God gives them worth and he raised them. 
And so we all know this, right? Like on the one hand, money appears to us, it shows up with this ability to make us secure and feel in control in this world of chaos, doesn't it? So here's what money says to you. It's true. Money does talk. Money says, if you come after me, if you give everything to get me, even if all your relationships fail, and even if the world around you crumbles, you're still going to be in control and you're still going to be secure because you have me. You have me. Listen, the hiss, the hiss of the serpent is so audible behind money. Now, here's what money is certainly convenient. Money, I'm not saying money's bad. It's certainly convenient, right? No one's going to deny that. But when it comes to the biggest issues of life, illness, death, broken relationships, anxiety, depression, money can't help you there. Like, like it doesn't secure you. You can't, it doesn't help you there. It helps you only so far as the surface goes. Only so far as the surface goes. So there's some of you who seek your security in money and you know it's hard to hang on to. But there's others of you, it's not security you want, you want self-worth. So the other side of money, money says this, it shows up to you and says this, if you come after me, I'll make you beautiful. I'll get you what you want. I'll give you the clothes you want to wear. I'll validate you. I'll numb your pain. I'll make you to feel important. I'll give you a sense of thrill when you hit add to cart button. I'll even, I'll blow up your heart with joy and peace and endorphins when you see that package show up on your doorstep. And we all kind of want to smile and chuckle at that because we know it's true. We know it's true. But here's what's so funny about on the one hand pursuing security or on the other hand pursuing self-worth through money. The person who pursues security and money looks at the person who pursues self-worth going, they're just a bunch of indulgent, wasteful people. And the ones who pursue self-worth at money look at the security people on money and they go, you're just a pretentious miser. And both mock each other. And here's why. Because both think the other is worse when actually both parties are looking to money to do for them what only God can do. Only God gives you worth and only God makes you secure, right? So he points out these two indicators. The last one comes in verse 33 and it's actually part of the cure. Look at what it says. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. This one always gets a reaction out of us, doesn't it? (laughs) Or it makes it really quiet in the room. Sell your possessions, give to the poor. So what you want me to do right now is say, well, Jesus doesn't really mean that. He means this. That's what you want me to do right now. That's what I want me to do right now right? What's hard about Jesus is not even Jesus does that. He just lets this one sit. And so we want to soften this. We want to negotiate this. We want to put an asterisk by this. We want to have our Bible reading plan through Luke and come across this verse and go, whoop, skipping 33, 34, right? That's what we want to do. I underlined the whole passage except 33. I took notes on everything. My discipleship group's going to think I'm really great. Not 33, right? We want to skip over this one. But Jesus says this thing, like the reason he says this is to get a rise out of you. Listen, your negative emotions, when you read a verse like this, ought to tell you just how deeply you worship money. 
Like the fact that you want to negotiate it shows you worship money. Me too. And so here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to let this one sit. I'm going to let me just let it sit there. Here's what Jesus is getting at. Sacrificial giving. Not the kind of giving like I'm just giving off the top. I'm giving off the fluff. I'm giving off the icing. Like giving to the point where he makes it, you feel it. It kind of hurts a little bit. When Jesus said this to this crowd, they didn't have bank accounts or savings accounts. If they were going to give to the poor, they literally had to sell something, get rid of something. And in exchange, then they had money to give. That's how this rolled out. And so when you look at the poor, when you look at the needy in our city, you shouldn't see other people. Every one of us, when we see the poor all throughout our city, here's what we should see, ourselves. Every one of us should see ourselves because apart from the grace of God, every one of us in this room are even worse than impoverished before him. Worse than impoverished. You have not been given what you've been given so that it ends on you. You hear that? You've not been given what you've been given so that it ends on you. You've been given what you've been given by God to meet your needs and then consider how can, how can I spread the wealth? Like how can I use my privilege for the privilege of another? That's what's going on here. And so let me just give you a diagnostic question on what Jesus is saying. If you never have a moment where you struggle with what you have and how much of it you have, like if you never have a moment where you kind of struggle with that, you're being, you're being influenced by another authority more than you want to admit. If, if you never have a moment where you start to struggle with, is this too much? And then you're kind of moved with doing something about it for the good of others. Then you're showing who it is that you worship, even if you would say something different with your lips right? And so this one stings. This one stings a lot. But these are the signs. These are the indicators. Just let me wrap up what Jesus says, says here. Jesus says in these five indicators, if you gloat over your money, if you worry about your money, if you resent people who have money, if you seek security in money, if you seek self-worth in money, and if you have a hard time giving away money, because of your own standard of living, then you worship the God of money. You bear the scars of being discipled by the God of money. Man, it's been so hard to preach this. I'm not here, I want you to know this, I'm not here as like Dr. Generous preaching this sermon. I'm here as a fellow struggler who was who is bandaging my own wounds, going, I don't know if I want to say it that honest. Like that, that's where I am this week. But Jesus is not trying to expose us to shame us. He's trying to expose us to save us. That's what he does. And so here's now the question. We're all, when you see the signs that way, you go, oh gosh, no one's exempt here. We're all in this boat. And so now we're looking at each other probably in the boat going, what do we do? What do we do? Here's where I want to end the sermon today. And it's going to sound cliche because it's a Christian sermon, but it's not. It's so not cliche. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Remember, remember, the one who's speaking these words is the same one who died for you and died for me. He became poor that we might become rich before God.
The same one who's speaking these words went to the cross and he refused to receive the drink of sour wine that would numb the pain. He chose to pay the full price and feel every bit of the pain for those of us who in exchange for God have chosen to worry about what we're going to drink and what we're going to eat and think about our trinkets as our salvation and our validation, our security. The same one who speaks these words is the one who says, hey, don't worry about what you wear. That same one was stripped naked and suspended in humiliation that you and I may have a way to turn in our filthy rags and receive his robe of righteousness. He knows what he's talking about. Like he knows what he's saying. And so let me say it this way. The only thing in this life that can define you is the only thing that cannot be taken away from you. You hear that? The only thing in this life that can actually define you is the only thing that can't be taken away from you. So if it can be taken away, if it can be ripped, if it can land in a garage sale, or if it can totally go upside down in five seconds because of the stock market, it can't define you by nature. Like it can't define you. The only thing that can define you is the only thing that can't be taken away from you. And that's exactly what Jesus is offering us through his death and his resurrection, where his father becomes our father. See that? So look at verse 32 and we'll be done. Look at what Jesus says after all of this stuff. He says, fear not. Don't be afraid, little flock. Such endearment. Fear not, little flock. Why? because it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You hear that? We're not orphans anymore. We don't have to hoard for ourselves or protect for ourselves out of fear that we're not going to get in return or our next meal isn't going to come. We don't have, we're not orphans. We have a dad, your father in heaven. And it's your father's good pleasure to protect you and to provide for you. He sees your needs, seek his kingdom and all the rest. Right, we'll be at it. And so here's the deal, right? The apartment you're living in, you're only going to live there a little while longer. The house you're living in, you're only going to live there a little while longer. The job that you have, that you find so much status in, you're only going to have that job a little while longer. We have a kingdom that's waiting for us. All we're doing in these days, living out our lives, all of us are stuck in a halfway house. We're learning to peel our fingers off of our money addictions and set our arms to embrace the kingdom that's waiting for us. There's a nail-pierced king waiting for you. There's a father eager to receive you. He's just discipling you here and now. He's just discipling you here and now. And so listen, as I finish today, don't, gosh, don't tremble before the God of money. Don't tremble. He's a liar and he doesn't love you. Don't tremble. Jesus stands up for you. Church, I've been begging God that he would show us how rich we are in him. Like if you only knew how rich you are in Jesus, 
Your sins are forgiven. The Father blesses you. He approves of you. He's filled you with his spirit. He's preparing a kingdom for you. He's given you his church. He's given you his people. He's given you everything that's his. He's sharing the inheritance of the Son of God with you. If you could see how rich you are, if you could see it, money would just be money. You might have a lot. You might have none. But it doesn't matter before the face of Jesus the Christ. It doesn't matter. You see that? And so here's the thing, man. Don't let your marriage fold up because of this. Don't tremble before the God of money. Your marriage, your marriage is too precious. Jesus stands up for you. And as a church, we want to walk with you. We want to walk with you. So here's what I've been praying this week. I've been praying that God would just make us a stupid, generous people. (laughs) Like, here's the danger for Frontline. We have a really cool building in the hypest part of town with a lot of cool people. God spares from being just that. God spares from being just that. Like, I want stories of generosity and hospitality flowing from this place, both inside and outside, that the city starts looking at us and they go, oh, Frontliners, they really must believe in that whole kingdom come thing. Yeah, we do. And I want us... I want them to see it. So so the world says what I'm saying is stupid. The world says what Jesus says here is stupid. The world says, build your barns, fill them, get yours and build a kingdom for yourself. Jesus says, empty your barns, lay down your life and get a kingdom to come. So which is true? Jesus has already proven the test of sanity on this one. He won by losing. He was filled by laying down his life. He received glory through crucifixion. The test of sanity is already won. Jesus, your king, even though the world thinks this is stupid and crazy, this could make no more sense to Jesus. And this is exactly where he's leading us. So he says to us, take care and be on your guard against all kinds of greed and fear not little flock because it's your father's good pleasure, good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 